I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. That's on page 1074 from the Bibles at the back. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Thanks for that. And uh, good morning again, everyone. It's um, great to be with you. And let me just say greetings from um, your brothers and sisters in Davo. Um, it's lovely to um, be with you and to represent them here. So thanks for having us. Just wanted to start by asking you, you a question, or a few questions, actually. Um, just rhetorical questions, so don't answer out loud. But what would you say to someone who's finding it hard being a Christian? What would you say to someone who's suffering for being a Christian? What would you say to someone who's feeling excluded from things, who feels left out of friendship groups, who feels the pain of not being invited to parties simply because uh, they follow Jesus? What would you say to someone who's being mistreated and abused, ridiculed and made fun of because they follow Christ? What would you say to someone who feels an awkwardness every time conversations turn to coarse joking and crudity and gossip and they follow Jesus so they don't want to be part of those conversations? What would you you say to someone who's made to feel the odd one out in the family because they're the religious one? What would you say to someone whose children are given a hard time because they don't let them see the sorts of movies that everyone else's kids are seeing and they don't let them go to the parties that everyone else's kids are going to? What would you say to someone who tries to do things honestly and with integrity and who's actually been disadvantaged because of that? What would you say to someone who feels more and more like a stranger who is living in a place that they can't call their own? Like, what would you say to someone in that situation, do you reckon? Well, it turns out that's pretty well exactly why this letter of 1 Peter was written. It's a letter written to a bunch of Christians who were doing it tough so as to encourage them. And you can see that right at the very end of the letter. So if you've got your Bible there, have a look with me. Turn uh, to chapter 5 and verse 12. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 12. It says this, Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So the whole reason Peter wrote this letter was to encourage Christians to take a stand. It was to encourage Christians to stand firm. And what Peter says to those first century Christians to encourage them, friends, it'll be a great encouragement to us as well. In this letter, and especially in our passage for today, Peter gives us the encouragement we need to stand firm uh, when it's hard being a Christian. And the first thing he says to encourage those first century Christians is he reminds them that they belong to God. They have been chosen by God. They are his special treasured possession. But before we get there, I reckon it's a really good thing that Peter did write this letter. Because in our verses for today, right back at the start of the letter, it pretty quickly becomes obvious that these people needed encouragement. 
So come with me back to the start, 1 Peter chapter 1. And just listen as I read and notice the way that Peter describes the people he's writing to, people who really needed encouragement. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Now, if we just pause there, did you notice the way that Peter describes the people he's writing to? The very first thing he says is that, is that they're chosen. They're God's elect. We'll come back to that in a minute, but basically that means they are his special people, hand-picked to belong to him. But you notice what he says next? He says they are living as exiles. He says they're dispersed in all these different places. In other words, they're temporary residents here. They're strangers. They're living in a world that's not really theirs. They are living in a culture that has vastly different values and incredibly different priorities to them. Later in the letter, if you were to keep reading, what you would see is that living with these different values, living with these different priorities, it causes all sorts of friction and tension. These people were actually being disadvantaged at work because they followed Jesus. These people were actually being excluded from friendship groups because they were Christians. These people actually had strained and difficult relationships, including their close family relationships, because they had different priorities. People thought they were weird because they chose to live differently and make different choices. And later in the letter, we find out they were even experiencing painful trials because of the name of Christ. For the people Peter was writing to, life was hard and it was challenging and it was painful. They were constantly on edge. It was discouraging. It actually sounds a lot like life as a Christian in the 21st century, doesn't it? And so Peter wrote this letter so as to encourage them and to encourage us to stand firm, to keep going. And the very first thing he says to these strangers living as exiles scattered in the world, the first thing he says to them is that you've been chosen by God. You are his, his special treasured possession. Have a look there again at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So you see that the people that Peter's writing to, they might be living as exiles. They might be strangers scattered in the world. They might be temporary residents here but they are also God's elect. They have been chosen by God himself. They belong to him. In chapter 2, Peter goes on to flesh out a bit more just how incredible it is to be God, chosen by God. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. See what he says there? You are his possession. You are God's special possession. Now, don't you reckon that would have been encouraging for those first century Christians to hear? You've been chosen by God to be his special treasured possession. I was thinking about this a little bit when I was shopping recently. Uh, you know when you go into Woolies, I've got some pictures here. You go into Woolies, there's aisles everywhere, right? 20-something aisles, aisles, everything you could think of possibly in Woolies. But if you're anything like me, out of all the possible aisles you could go to in Woolies... There's one that particularly grabs your attention. Oh, there's all the aisles. It's the one with the lollies in it, right? 
aisles, an aisle full of lollies, lined both sides, all sorts of lollies. But out of all the lollies in the lolly aisle, you end up at the chocolates. But out of all the chocolates that you could possibly pick from, you go for the twirls, because everyone knows twirls are the best, right? There's normal twirls there, there's mint twirls, strawberry twirls, caramel, breakaway, whole bunch of twirls. But even out of all the twirls, right, there's one, you choose that one particular twirl. Now, not the greatest illustration I know, but that's kind of like what Paul's saying for these seemingly scattered, seemingly insignificant Christians. Out of all the people in the world, I've handpicked you to be mine. See what this is saying? To people who felt like they didn't belong. To people who felt like they were constantly excluded from things. To people who were constantly treated like the odd one out. Peter says to them, no, you are God's elect. You are God's chosen people. He has handpicked you to be his. Now, what do you reckon that says to a first century Christian who feels like a stranger in the world? What do you reckon that says to someone who's never invited out to work drinks on the weekend? It says, hang in there. Stand firm. Keep going. Be encouraged. Because you might often feel like you're on the fringes of things, but in actual fact, you are at the very, very centre of God's plans. He has chosen you. He has deliberately set his love on you. He has personally selected you to be part of his people, his special treasured possession. Now, that's encouraging, right? But that's not all the encouragement there is in these opening couple of sentences. Peter goes on to say that not only have they been personally chosen by God, they've been chosen uh, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, or they've been set apart by the Spirit. Have a look there again at verse 2. You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So these people that Peter's been writing to, he says they've been sanctified by the Spirit. Now being sanctified, it's a weird word. We don't really use it much today. But basically it means they've been set apart. They've been marked out as being different. They've been set aside for a special particular purpose. So if we go back to the supermarket again, it's a bit like once I've chosen my particular twirl, what he's talking about here, it's a bit like now taking that twirl and putting it in my shopping basket. See, it's now been set apart. It's different to all the other twirls on the shelf. This one now, it's in my basket. It's been set aside to belong to me. You might say it's been sanctified. That's kind of like what Peter's saying to these first century Christians. You've been chosen by God and you've been set apart by the Spirit. Friends, when we start following Jesus, he gives us his Spirit, doesn't it? We thought about that just before. And the Spirit, he sets us apart. He marks us out as being different. He marks us out as belonging exclusively to God. Now, what do you reckon being sanctified means to one of those first century Christians? What do you reckon being sanctified means to someone who's used to being singled out and made fun of and disadvantaged because they follow Jesus? What do you reckon this says to someone who's actually lost clients at work because they choose to do things honestly and with integrity? What do you reckon this says to someone who gets given less shifts 
because they won't work on a Sunday morning? What do you reckon this says to someone whose friends laugh at them and make fun of them because they won't copy and share movies and music? What do you reckon this says to someone whose mates give them a hard time because they're not online gaming five nights a week? Again, it says, hang in there. Stand firm. Be encouraged. Because if it feels like you don't belong in this world, if it feels like you're constantly bumping up against the world, if it feels like things are constantly in friction, that's actually how it's meant to be. You're meant to be different. Because that's what the Spirit does. He makes you different from the people around you. He sets you apart. He marks you out as belonging exclusively to God. What this says to those first century Christians and what it says to 21st century Christians is that when the world singles you out to be made fun of because you're different, that only serves to reinforce the fact that you have been personally chosen by God. It says when you suffer for following Jesus, be encouraged. Because you don't belong to this world. You belong to God. You're his. So you see, to a bunch of scattered Christians, a bunch of people living as exiles, strangers in the world, Peter says, guys, be encouraged. Stand firm. Hang in there because you've been chosen by God and he's marked you out as belonging exclusively to him. But Peter's still got one more phrase with which to encourage these first century Christians. At the end of verse 2, he goes on to say that they've been set apart for obedience to Jesus and sprinkling by his blood. Have a look at verse 2 again. Peter says, You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. So one thing that's different one thing that's unique, one thing that's distinct about these Christians is that they now obey Jesus Christ. And that is different to the world, isn't it? And friends, that will lead to a clash of values. That will lead to a difference in priorities. That will lead to a change of choices and a change of behaviours. And all of that, it will lead to moments of friction and tension with the people around them. Living in obedience to Jesus Christ it will mean life is hard because the world just will not understand why you make the choices you make. The world will be living for one thing while Christians will live for something else altogether. People will not understand why you won't give five nights a week to gymnastics classes. People will not understand why you stop playing sport in high school because it's now on a Sunday morning. And people will not understand why you won't scull a beer and get drunk at the sports presentation night. If you're not a Christian, it's important to hear this. If you become a Christian, it will be hard. It will lead to friction and tension. But it's important to hear this as well. It will most certainly be worth it. Because Peter goes on to say that as a Christian, you've been chosen by God and set apart not only to obey Jesus, but to be sprinkled by his blood. Now, admittedly, that's not a particularly appealing phrase. Sounds a little bit weird. But being sprinkled by Jesus' blood, it's really just talking about, I shouldn't say just, it's really talking about us finally and fully being made one of God's special chosen people. So sprinkling with blood, it's not a new idea. Peter doesn't make it up. 
It's really an Old Testament idea. It's kind of all the way through the Bible. Back in the Old Testament, sprinkling with blood was the way that a covenant or a contract was kind of formalised. It was the point at which a contract was signed and sealed and delivered. So here's an example. Uh, This is from back in the Old Testament book of Exodus, right back near the start of the Bible. Back there, God wanted to make a contract or a covenant with his people. He would be their God, he would protect them, and they would be set apart to be his people. They would be his chosen people, his treasured possession. And in order to finalise the contract, in order to make it signed and sealed and delivered, they had blood sprinkled on them. So this is Exodus 24, verse 7. Moses then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, we will do all that the Lord has commanded. So the people there, they promised to keep their side of the contract. We're going to obey God. We're going to do what the covenant says. And after the people had promised to keep the covenant, Moses then sprinkled blood on them. This is the next verse. Moses took the blood, says splattered there, it's also sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. And once they'd had the blood sprinkled on them there, it was signed, it was sealed, it was delivered. They had now become God's special chosen people. They were set apart from all the other people in the world. They belonged exclusively to God. They were his. Everything that God promised to them in the covenant, it was now theirs. They were fully and finally God's people. Here's another way of thinking about it. Makes a bit more sense, I reckon. Come with me back to the supermarket. It's a bit like me now taking my twirl. I've chosen it off the shelf. I've put it in my basket. I've set it aside to be mine. It's a bit like me now taking the twirl to the cash register. Once I've chosen it, once I've set it aside, all that is left now to make it fully and finally mine is to pay for it. When I paid for this one, it was two bucks. Then, like the next day, it was 90 cents. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> but anyway, once I pay for it, it is now fully and finally mine. That's what Peter wants to encourage these first century Christians with. He's saying they've had the blood sprinkled on them. The payment has been made. They are fully and finally God's. And the reason they can be confident of that is that Jesus has died for them. They have been sprinkled by his blood. As a result, they have forgiveness from God. They are fully part of God's special chosen people. They are his and they enjoy all the good things that come with it. They are his, just like this 12 is now fully and finally mine and I get to enjoy it. But much, much better than a 12. These people that Peter's writing to, because they've been sprinkled with Jesus' blood, they now have an ongoing, loving, covenant relationship with the God who made them. Now, what do you reckon all that says to a first century Christian whose relationships were strained and difficult? What do you reckon all that says to a first century Christian who was frequently excluded from friendship groups because they followed Jesus? What do you reckon all this says to someone who's had to pull out of that sporting team that they were part of for 12 years because it now plays on a Sunday morning? What do you reckon all this says to someone whose friends are getting more and more distant because you're not online gaming with them five nights a week? It says hang in there. Keep going. Be encouraged. Because God will never, ever leave you. 
He has deliberately chosen you. And he has set you apart to be his. And he has bought you at great personal cost so that you might always be his special treasured possession. Man, we're only a couple of sentences in, but hasn't this been just a great beginning to a letter to a bunch of struggling Christians? It's been great. But at the same time, I wonder, like, are you actually encouraged by it? How are you going at the moment, do you reckon? Like, how are you going at following Jesus? In all seriousness, is following Jesus a joy and a delight? Or is it a bit of a struggle at the moment? You know, friends, the reality is that there will always be places where we bump up against the world. There will always be points of tension, moments of friction. I was talking with someone not long ago whose son was part of the same sporting team for 12 years. But this guy made the decision to pull out of the team because it was now playing on a Sunday morning. He wanted to prioritise getting to church over his sporting team. The other people on the team, they didn't get it at all. They, they thought he wasn't committed to the team. They kept trying to put uh, pressure on him to just skip church and come along anyway. Have you ever had an experience like that? I was talking with another friend recently and he was saying how one year he won the best and fairest award in his hockey team. And at the presentation night when he got up in front of everyone, in front of the whole club to be given the award, uh, everyone started chanting and cheering for him to skull this beer. And he said he didn't want to do it. He said he didn't feel comfortable to do it. Everyone kept cheering and chanting. And eventually the captain got up and he's in front of everyone. The captain said to my friend, come on, you're letting everyone down. Just drink, just skull it. Have you ever felt pressure like that? Are you feeling that kind of pressure at the moment? Back when I used to go to youth group in Dubbo, there was a woman uh, whose husband wasn't a Christian. He's still not, actually. And this lady used to find it really, really hard because they had different values. They had different priorities. They often misunderstood each other. So she'd drive the, the kids across town to youth group on a Friday night and he'd say, it's a waste of money. He'd work away all week. He'd be home on the weekends. He'd want to spend time with his wife. And so she'd find it really hard. She'd feel guilty heading off to church on a Sunday morning when he was wanting her to be home. Do you feel at all like that? You feel that kind of tension? I used to work at the abattoir in Dubbo. I would constantly get pressure from my boss to do things that were just unethical, like update the expiry date on, the, on cartons of meat. I wouldn't do it, and so my boss would get angry, and then he'd tell everyone else about it, and they'd just rib me about it for day after day after day. Friends, if you're experiencing anything like any of those, if you're feeling at all discouraged, if you're finding it hard to hang in there, then can I encourage you that it would be a great thing to keep reading through 1 Peter on your own, maybe this week at home? Because Peter deliberately wrote this letter to people just like us. Christians who are living as strangers in this world. People who are struggling and suffering. People who are oftentimes finding it hard just to keep going following Jesus. And even in today's reading, as small as it is, there are some wonderfully encouraging truths to be seen. 
God wants you to know that if you're a follower of Jesus, then he has personally and deliberately handpicked you. He has chosen you intentionally to be his, to be one of his special treasured people. And he wants you to know that you've been sanctified. You've been set apart. You've been marked out as different by the Spirit. And that means you will be different now, and that means things will be hard. But you've been set apart to have a special, intimate, permanent, covenant relationship with the God who made you and loves you. So friends, whatever else is going on, be encouraged, won't you? And stand firm. Let me pray. Lord God, we're really uh, grateful for this letter that Peter wrote. Thank you for his love and the way that he wanted to encourage um, those brothers and sisters so many years ago to, to hang in there, to stand firm. Thank you for his love for them and the clarity with which he wrote to them. And Father, we're really thankful for the way that what he said to encourage them all those years ago, it's a great encouragement to us as well. Thank you so much for choosing us. It's incredible that you would want us to be yours and, and we thank you for that. It's mind-blowing that we've been set apart to belong exclusively to you. Thank you for that. And thank you for making us fully and finally yours through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Father, we pray that uh, as we go away from here, we wouldn't forget these things, but as we head back to the busyness and the messiness and the, difficult, uh, the difficulties that life brings, help us to be genuinely encouraged by these things. Strengthen us that we might stand firm. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.